0: This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like minded shows, visit howweare.org.
1: That's H O W W E A R E.org.
0: to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are at episode number 73, and the guest this week is Ned Russian, the bassist slash vocalist of Title Fight. More on him in a minute. Let's talk some business. First and foremost, propertyofzack.com. Visit them, become educated on independent music, find out about everything that is going on, all of the latest records, all of the tours that are coming through your city is all featured there propertyofzack.com. We love them. I love them. Check it out. You will become smarter. And that's always a good thing. Review the show on iTunes. The reviews have slowed down recently. And I understand uh, some of the new people that have may join the show at a later junction are like, I don't know. I'm still testing the waters, still seeing if I like this thing. But hopefully you will get to the point in which you are interested in reviewing the show. And that means going to iTunes, typing in 100 words, and then it'll pop up. You can give some stars, or you can write a few sentences. I devour the reviews that pop up on the iTunes store because it's great feedback. You know, not everybody emails the show. I do get a decent amount of emails from people, which is awesome. But uh, some people like expressing themselves over that medium. So there you go. I'm not going to stop you. Do whatever you want. And then also visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. During the week, in between shows, I post a bunch of different stuff. Music, movies, whatever. pop culture stuff I find of relevance to myself and that I think you should be interested in as well excuse me I'm getting sick I've got a stuffy nose it fucking sucks I think it's the end of summer cold as they say for those of you who that have listened to the show for a long time may have noticed there's like a little different intro that's played at the very beginning. And uh, if you haven't visited the website that it gets plugged at the very beginning of the show, it's a podcast network that I personally have started with a few other shows. It's called How We Are, which is a nod and a reference to the band Lifetime. And they have a song called How We Are, which basically talks about how regardless of how many people are paying attention, they are playing shows and they are being active within music. Uh, and I just, that song is always resonated with me upon the first time listening to it. So that is an homage to the band Lifetime. And if you haven't listened to them, you should. They're an incredible band. So the idea behind this is basically to expose listeners of either the show that we do here or the other shows to promote other awesome podcasts. I think the the technology space and the comedy space of the podcast world is completely dominating the conversation, which is understandable because that's a more wide-reaching subject for people to get into. Uh, but music, I think, is represented in some fashions, and there are great shows out there, But the kind of collective idea of a podcast network from a music standpoint just hasn't existed so far. I'm not saying I'm like some pioneer because this idea has obviously been done many, many times over. Uh, but basically, I was just like, you know what? <clears throat> let's collect a few of these shows that I find awesome, and uh, let's see if we can, can kind of spread awareness. And then, uh, you know, eventually, we may be looking for sponsors. So if you are interested in sponsors, you can obviously visit the website. If you run any sort of business that is affiliated with music, or even just a business that you think that this audience would be interested in. Because uh, unfortunately, this stuff isn't free. And uh, even though it's free to you, it obviously isn't free for the people that are doing the show. But that's beside the point. We won't go into that right now. But visit the site. However, we and you can find out about other awesome shows, the Stuff You Will Hate podcast, Let's Talk About Feelings, Matt Pryor's Nothing to Write Home About. Those are the shows that are part of the network right now, and we'll all be doing our best to promote one another's shows. So check it out and become educated. I'll be talking about it for a while, so don't don't worry if you missed this one. <laughs> anyways one last thing before we got into our interview with ned i had the privilege of recently watching two documentaries based around a band the first one was mistaken for strangers it's a documentary on the band the national and the second one was filmage which is a documentary based on the descendants the descendants one and i should say the descendants slash all that documentary focuses on the lifespan of the band basically up until this point the national one just focuses on one specific tour both of these are fucking incredible i don't give a shit whether you like either of those bands you will find something that is of worth in this mistaken for strangers is incredible because it's like a movie within a movie and it's funny it's heartbreaking it's entertaining like just, just so much emotion wrapped up into this movie and you can tell it's just great and filmage is the same exact way you know, descendants have obviously been a cornerstone band within the independent music scene. And then to be able to watch everyone tell their story of how the band got together and all of the trials and tribulations that they went through uh, is just incredible. So I couldn't recommend either of those higher. Uh, you both of them I know are in like kind of random limited release, but I know both of them within the course of the next six months, I would imagine have some sort of you know digital download, you know, video on demand option, if not a physical release as well. So pay attention because holy shit, so fucking good. Just do it, anyways. Without belaboring the point, let's talk to Ned from Title Fight. Two things to note uh, I've been fucking up recently on these interviews in the sense of I've been recording them through my on computer mic when I should be recording them through the microphone that I've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars for. But I've just been not doing a certain setting and it's it's stupid and I apologize. So if the audio quality is totally bumming you out, I promise it'll be fixed. It's, it's completely my fault. It has nothing to do with our illustrious editor or anything else. It's all my fault. So pin it on me. But it's audible. It's not like, oh my God, this sounds like shit. Uh, it just sounds a little more, you know, like I'm in a room as opposed to like talking into a microphone. A- another fuck up of mine. I had this conversation recorded a long time ago and my hard drive crash just said, nope, not interested in that. And this was the only interview that I did not have backed up. So Ned, being the ever gracious person that he is, agreed to do the interview again. Holy shit. What a good dude, right? Who does that? If Alternative Press lost an interview. Actually, no, that's a bad example because a band would probably do that again. But there was just he's very nice to do this and i just you know really appreciate it but uh title fight what can be said about that band i personally love them they're really really good at what they do i think they are doing so many great things for independent music the hardcore punk whatever you'd like to call it and they're young they're so young and uh obviously we will speak about that within the interview so i'll let ned do the talking i'll shut up let's talk to ned guys started to demo material for floral green and that was kind of when you know a lot of labels started to be interested in what you guys were doing and you sent out was it like was it three songs two or three songs that you guys had demoed for floral green do you remember
2: i think it was for shed and it was like oh yeah not
0: floral green shed my fault sorry yeah yeah
2: Floral green were already with side one but um right i think it, it was like Three or four songs—I can't remember off the top of my head—but yeah, yeah, that was um, that was like April had to be two thousand ten, I guess. Yeah, I think it was or April two thousand, April two thousand nine. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm I'm bad with dates, but yeah, no. I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I remember, uh I remember getting a chance to hear that. You know, confidentially, obviously, it wasn't uh, you know leaking it or anything like that. I only got to listen to it once, but it was one of those things where it was like you know. A lot of people by that time had a certain perception of what title fight was as far as like, oh, yeah, they're young kids kind of playing a poppy punky hardcore type stuff. And then I remember listening to those demos and being like, oh, wow, this is going to be distinctly different. Did you guys feel some of that uh, sort of preconceived notion pressure where it's like, oh, yeah, we know what title fight is. Let's put them in that corner. Or was it just like that's kind of the the way the music started to come out as you guys grew a little bit older?
2: Um, I think at that point it wasn't really pressure, you know, Um, I think. Now, down the line, you know, after two LPs and and working on, you know, other things and whatever, now it's kind of like, okay, people kind of expect us to do this, Mm -hmm. so we want to do that. You know, now that that pressure is there, but when we were doing those demos, that was, you know, our attempt at, we knew we were going to be writing an LP soon, and and we wanted to kind of give whatever, you know, labels were interested an idea of what we were doing, and it was just kind of like, we've never had the opportunity to write more than, you know, eight minutes of music, so... Let's see what we can do, you know, and, and it wasn't like, um, it wasn't anything more than that. You know, it was a really kind of fun songwriting process for those songs. I don't, I don't even think we used any of the songs, really. No, it's... You know, it, um, one of them was Coxing Yard, the song that opened the record, and I think we scrapped the other three. Yeah. But I mean, you know, those songs that we were writing, let's just, let's just read some songs and let's see what people think about them and let's see where we can go with this and, you know. I think that was um it was pretty easy going surprisingly. And you know, afterwards is that's kinda of where all the pressure came from and when we started talking to people and, and started to really sit down and write the record, that's when it kind of song came and we it kind of, you know then it got a little bit scary and nerve wracking and crazy, but right. you know, that point it was just it was cool. Yeah. Was, well, you <laughs> know, that and that was also the first time we like we we uh, demoed those songs with Will Yip and that's kinda of how we started that relationship which was cool, you know, turning part in our in our band's career so that was that was uh that was like a really cool little moment
1: i guess
0: yeah no i can understand what you're saying where it's like yeah you put this together you just wanted to you know show the labels that you were talking to kind of what direction you guys were headed because at that time too you guys were obviously uh, were you guys still just you know taking care of all the band business yourselves yeah you know we had been corresponding
2: with some labels and we were
0: just literally emailing uh like the ceo of labels
2: and and whatever just through our personal email account you know Right. And uh now it might be like a little kinda it's kinda funny to me kind mm-hmm. of, you know, now being involved in the industry if you want to even call it that, which I hate calling it that, <laughs> you know, like being right. being, you know, kind of playing music the way that we do, you know, now kind of seeing that side of things, seeing, you know, whatever, like people working at these record labels emailing these little idiot eighteen year old kids responding, you know, yeah. sitting at their parents' house. That's kind of you know, that's a funny image to think about.
0: Well yeah, you you definitely don't well, because you don't have any frame of reference, you don't have the uh, idea of how you should be "quote unquote" professional. Because you know, you're just you're just like, oh yeah, I know these like I know these people at this label, and like here you go, like here's our demos.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was such like a crazy time because you know we were getting hit up by some pretty cool labels and some
1: right. some labels
2: that you know nothing pin out of obviously, but yeah. you know like we were get hit up by you know whoever oh, what is this? So we just, you know, Google whatever the label was and like, whoa, they signed this band and that band and right. why are they interested in us? This makes no sense. I don't know, like, is this a joke? Is this, you know? Yeah. Whatever. But, you know, we just talk to everybody and that was, you know, that's like a, the, the very beginning of like when things kind of started to, I guess, really materialize for us and we kind of, you know, really realized that we could do different things and we could you know we could take like so many different paths you know we're still faced with that decision today and it's right. still it's crazy you know it's and it's hard and it's it's uh confusing but you know i i think that was you know we uh we could have been really uh on a different path if we chose you know made different decisions obviously but you know um i'm happy with what we chose and how we did it and I think that only strengthened, you know, our beliefs and stuff.
0: Because every kid's dream, no matter what, is always to be, like, you know, signed to a label. No matter what the size, it's like, once you get that sort of idea that someone else is going to invest in your band, even if it's like spending $2,000 on your record. And you're just like, what? Why are you doing that? And it's like, yeah. So yeah, it's like that. I could totally see where you're coming from, from that perspective, where it's just like, oh yeah, we want to be in a label. And then like, all of a sudden, all these things started to pop up. And uh, it was, uh, like you said, it was, that. that's when it became uh, overwhelming and scary, but at the same time, exciting. And it's like, yeah, it's such a mixture of emotions.
2: Yeah,
0: definitely. And so, I mean, did you legitimately, like, as you guys were kind of, you know, sorting out all of these crazy things that were, you know, kind of coming your way, um, and you still didn't have, you know, quote-unquote professional re- representation from a management standpoint, did you guys seriously just, like, you know, sit in your practice rooms and kind of, like, you know, hash it out, where it's like, oh, this looks cool, this doesn't look cool? Like, you know, did those uh, did those moments get heated between you guys because, you know, three people wanted one thing and one person wanted another thing?
1: Um,
2: I we mean, were all pretty much on the same page, you know. That's it was, um, there was
0: never any arguments over what direction we should
2: go in. There were conversations about what those directions been, and, you know, what we could
1: potentially do with each different option. But, you know,
2: you know there were some cool and intriguing things, but at the end of the day, you know, the option that we took, which was Side One Dummy and doing the record with Walter and, and, you know, working with the people that we work with, that's what we wanted to do kind of from day one. Uh, there was a lot of cool things that were flashing in front of our faces and I think if we were different types of people then we would have went the route of pursuing fame and fortune and, you know, mm-hmm. going that way. With You know, I feel like maybe people don't realize it but that, you know, is a very viable option for a lot of people in our community. If you do something, people can, and people, you know, pay attention to it, you have the option to really, you know, potentially, you know, uh go like a very major route, you know, and, um well, Well, chances are it's not going to pay off. It could. You know, you never know. But when people talk to you, they never talk about it's failing. You know, they never say like, oh, yeah, we signed 50 million bands and, you know, only two of them ever do well. They don't say that. You know, what they do say is, "Yeah, like we signed whoever and whoever and they did great. Hearing that kind of stuff as an 18-year-old kid is... It's tempting. Yeah, it's very tempting. You know, we didn't come from that world. We didn't come from the world of oh, we want to be the next whoever. We want to be, you know, on the radio. We want to be doing these tours and stuff. We just wanted to be a band that played music. Right. And um, that was what we talked about when we were talking about these labels and stuff. So that's what influenced our decision, and that's still what, you know, influences our decisions today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you just, you you try to keep a level head about it. Obviously, everybody that surrounds you from that perspective They're presenting you the best possible scenario for you working with them, which is, like you said, not always the case where it's like, well, we're not always going to be the most successful thing of all time for any label. So it's just like you do have to weigh all of the factors from that perspective. But yeah, ultimately, you said having that sort of clear cut path where it's like, okay, we didn't start this band as a business plan. So let's not look at it from that perspective or that lens, you know? Yeah. Backing it up, you yourself, you were uh, born and raised in Wilkes-Barre, correct?
2: Yes, Uh born and raised in, in Kingston, Pennsylvania, suburb of Wilkes-Barre. Oh, so it's, a, um,
0: oh, so it's actually Kingston, okay. Because, I mean, I know, obviously, yeah, yeah. The, the Kingston 7-inch, like you guys.
2: If you would say that to anybody outside of our area, they have no, have no idea what you're talking about. Kingston is, you know, <laughs> nothing. I mean, the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere, basically. But, yeah, so lived in the same house my whole life, done the same stuff my whole life, known the whole people my whole life. Pretty, uh, standard, uh, childhood and, and everything, I guess.
0: And do, you, so, like, do you, when you say, like, out in the middle of nowhere, like, is it one of those things that, you know, does your family own, like, a parcel of land? Do you guys have, like, an acre or something like that?
2: No, not that kind of middle okay. of nowhere. I mean, that, that <laughs> does exist, you know, like, like, uh, my, my mom comes from a town about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, like, her parents, like, grew up, like, working on, like, the mill that ran the town, like, the, the mill in, like, the creek, you know? That's, uh... <laughs> Right. That's uh, a very close aspect of our town. You know, you could drive whatever, 10 minutes and be in the middle of the woods.
1: Okay. But um,
2: we're, you know, I guess a suburbanized town. Okay. Um, But very loosely, you know, it's not like, uh, wilkes is a major city, so it's hard to be a suburb of something that's not really that, uh, important, I guess. I don't know, it's hard to explain, you know, yeah. it's, um... Like,
0: what, what get, give me a frame of reference in regards, to, like, what was your, what was the size of your high school? You know, did you have, like, you know, 2,000 kids, like, do you remember?
2: Um, I went to a private high school, and, um, it was pretty small. I think my graduating class was, like, only 100 or something, but public high school, which I went up to until 8th grade, that was, like... I don't know. I want to say around like five hundred, maybe, okay. maybe more. Okay. Um. I, I I don't know. I forget. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jamie and Shade would know better I me mean, because they went to the high school there. But sure. I mean, it's a it's a pretty small area, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: It's really nothing substantial at all.
0: And so, so you went to uh, you went to private high school. Like, was it a uh, religious
2: school? It was a religious school, but it was like a a Protestant school, so it wasn't like you know they push religion on you. Sure. There was a there was a Bible class in the class. You know the teacher mm-hmm. said like, did all this stuff happen? Probably not. You know it was like a very liberal, oh, wow. whatever progressive school, I guess. Wow. Um, but it was about more like you know it was uh, it was a the whole point of the school is it was a college preparatory school. So um, it was all about like being prepared to go to college. So you learn how to write papers that college professors would like, and you learn how to to manage your time like a college student would. would you know it, that's like, the whole basis of the school. So interesting Um, it was more about that than it was about religion
0: sure sure yeah because I I went to I went to private schools most of my life and it wasn't it wasn't so much based on the fact that my parents were overly religious but it was the fact that uh, my mom being a high school English teacher she saw the importance of small class sizes and like yeah yeah exactly what you're talking about where it's like you know sometimes private schools have the ability to obviously do exactly that sort of curriculum where it's like you walk into college and you're not feeling like yo I didn't learn anything in high school
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that like uh, going to that school was a, it was a very big moment in my life, and it, it was something that I didn't want at all. It kind of sucked. Yeah, and um, I come from a pretty big family, and my two older sisters and my oldest brother all went to public school, and then um, well, I guess my brother went to uh, to private school. He went to like Catholic school for some reason. We're not Catholic. I don't know why, but he he made a decision to go there on his own. I don't know. Yeah, but that wasn't that he went to public school up until like tenth grade or something. I think he transferred, but so. My brother, Harrison,
1: mm-hmm.
2: he's um, the only of the Russ brothers that's not a hardcore kid. So he's, uh, yeah. he's a really, you know, in our abnormal family, he's about as abnormal as a kid. So he's cool. He, uh, he went to this school, mm-hmm. like, you know, the school that I went to, and my parents saw how well he did now, you know, the great opportunities or whatever. So they said, all right, come high school, you're going to this school. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been in public school since first grade and I had the same friends. We all had the same interests. And it was right when really Pedal Fight was, you know, becoming more of like a, a real thing. You know, we'd actually play shows rather than just practicing in my basement all the time. So mm-hmm. being separated from that world was really, it was hard.
1: Oh, it yeah. was basically
2: like moving, not, you know, it was moving schools but staying in the same neighborhood. So it was different kids and it was just different and I didn't feel like I clicked with anybody there. Mm-hmm. At the time I was, you know, pissed off and I was angry at my parents or whatever for sending me and taking me from, away from my friends. And, you know, realistically, yeah, it was the right move. I got a great education and I learned a lot and I learned a lot about, you know, not only social stuff and, and you know, dealing with different people, but, um you know, a lot of personal stuff and like how to work well and, and you know, just get stuff done. And, and you know, that's very important and I use that a lot in my life today. So I, I thank them for that, but, you know, being whatever, a 14, 15-year-old kid and, and being put in that situation was it was hard and looking back you know maybe that's childish of me to say that but it was it was uh i felt like abandoned for a little bit i guess
0: no no those feelings that you were that you're describing you know i wouldn't dismiss those because every kid experiences that in regards to if you if, if your reality is you know like you said going to school with your friends and obviously you know the band was such an important part of your life as you were growing up from or you know your formative years from that uh angle and then all of a sudden to have that all yanked away and be like okay like obviously you can still have your friends and your band but you're not going to know anybody at this school it's going to be weird as shit you know here you go like enjoy and it's like and then obviously as you were saying before where it's like no none of my other siblings had this experience like how come how come you guys had to do this with me
2: yeah it was weird you know because especially that was like that was when i was really getting into punk and hardcore and you know i was into bands before that and you know i'd i had been into you know listening to whatever you know i guess I guess you could call it like underground music to use a very blanket term. Yeah, I've you know been listening to that kind of stuff my whole life, and like at that point, I was really getting into it, and that wasn't. I was like you know buying every record that I could, and listening to every band that I could, and I went to this school where nobody there was into punk or hardcore. You know, like I hung out with these like hippies for the first couple. Months of my school career.
1: Yeah.
2: And then, and then after that, like, I kind of had a falling out with them. I literally, I hung out with maybe like five kids that were into like, you know, I don't know, politics and, (laughs) and like a Pearl Jam. (laughs) Right. And I would hang out with them at school. And then I would go home and I would hang out with my other friends and I didn't see anybody outside of school. But it was like, it, it went from feeling like in middle school and in everything before that when I was getting into punk rock, I was getting into. With all my friends, and we were all like checking out bands, we all show each other, like, hey, check out this record I just found out about, whatever, you know. It was so cool, and it was such a, a very community atmosphere. And then going to this other thing, I felt very, uh, alienated, you know, and, um, isolated. Especially because it was a private school, you know, there was like a lot of wealthy kids. It was, you know, it was a very kind of awkward experience, especially being, you know, like, I'm listening to music that's like, anti-society, whatever, you know, like, just like that that kind of kid, and, and you know, right. to be in that situation, it just made me feel that much more, you know, angry and stuff for, like, a little bit, and, you know, eventually, I kind of came to terms with it, but that was a, you know, that was a kind of a weird, I guess, stage, but it, it definitely important in the shaping of you know who i would become
0: yeah well it's interesting too because i think any sort of adversity you face as a young person even though it's like looking back like you said it's pretty inconsequential but it's like you know you're you yourself were facing adversity and like that could have that could have poured more fire into your belly to keep you involved in what you were involved in because you had to work harder at it as opposed to you know some kids it's like They're sort of chameleons where it's like, okay, whatever their friends are doing, they're doing. But the moment they're removed from it, they don't care about it anymore because they've had to adapt to their situation. But you, you're like, no, like, this is me. It's been me. I'm not, it's not shaking me regardless of what I'm surrounded by, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, you and I can probably count our, you know, hands and toes of how many people that the moment that, you know, high school lets out and they go to college, like, they've completely, you know, given up on, you know, all of the quote unquote, trappings of youth culture as far as like you know punk or hardcore or anything because they're just like oh yeah you know now i've now i've evolved like i don't go to shows anymore it's like i go to concerts and it's like oh okay we'll see you later
2: (laughs) yeah and and that's their
0: that's their choice that's fine (laughs)
2: yeah i mean coming from a small town you know it's it's a very small community here and the people that go to the shows you know you know everybody basically yeah and you notice when somebody's not going anymore. And, and like you said, that's everybody's choice. That's fine. I don't care if people don't come to shows anymore, you know. It's just, to me, the only thing that seems weird is is when people are so, you know, into it and they and they talk about these things. And they talk like, oh, this is so important because it taught me this lesson and it taught me about, you know, whatever, you know, accepting people and about, and about you know, moderating yourself and doing all this stuff. And I think there's so many important things that you can learn you can't let them anywhere else, but it's a cool, unique, interesting atmosphere, you know, yeah. and these people, they like all these things about it, and then they just, I don't know, either they have a bad experience, or they just don't care, they move on to something else, and it's, they continue on in their life, and, yeah. you know, that's, that for me is, it, it further kind of, you know, supports my, my interest in, in the field, but then it also, it causes so much, you know, question for me, like, are these people doing the right thing? And I'm stupid for sticking around and, and, you know, doing the same thing that I was doing when I was literally 13 years old. Yeah. Or am I right in sticking around and and sin for what I believe? And that's that's a hard thing that comes with it, is figuring out who's right and what is right, you know. But at the end, I'll never know. I'm still having fun. I'm still enjoying myself so I'm not, you know, planning on
0: leaving any of soon. I get what you're saying. And I think it's interesting too like you you alluded to earlier. I mean for anybody that doesn't know it's like, you know, all of your brothers are involved in independent music like you said besides one. It's like obviously you play with your brother in title fight your other brother plays in Cold World. All of your brothers besides have got into this. Like, Does does he look at you guys and like, oh man, like this is so weird that I'm not doing this. Like, How does that sit with him? Or have you had discussions with him about that?
2: For as long as I can remember, that's just kind of how it's been. My, my oldest brother, he just threw his group of friends and stuff and, and just older guys. He just got into punk and hardcore. And this was, you know, when he was... I don't know, fourteen, fifteen years old, and I was like seven at the time. And I was, I, I idolized right. my older brother, so I wanted to be just like him. So I, you know, I, I looked at what he wore, I looked at the band names that he, he you know, wrote in Sharpie in his backpack. I looked at the, you know, whatever. I looked at everything he was doing, and I wanted to be like yeah. that. And it just so happened that I also ended up actually liking all that stuff. That's what it sparked my interest in an early age, right. and you know, it continued to spark my interest, so I stuck with it. But my older brother Harrison, he didn't get into it. I don't know. He, you know, he's he's uh he's always been into his own thing, which is really cool. And, you know, he, I think honestly, out of, out of the whole family, a lot of people say, oh, I'm a freak because, because I'm in hardcore, you know, like I'm, I'm into subculture or whatever. (laughs) I think he, he just graduated from, from a St. Vladimir's Theological Seminary. He's going to get a PhD in musicology at Duke. He's the real freak, you know, like he's, he is like the real, like uh, a real 1%, you know, like we, like, sure. ask, like we're different but you know really like whatever we like the same thing that everybody else like he likes stuff that, that nobody likes he's cool that's why I, right. that's why I think that you know but he's yeah. always been like that one, you know how young he was into like Bach,
1: you know and all
2: like stuff and then I read about him and, and you know he got into a lot of different stuff but like that's what he stayed with and you know I guess you know classical music and theology and whatever I guess in its own right that's her subculture you know and and uh so he was just <laughs> he was into that sure. and you know
0: he forged he forged his own path yeah <laughs> um yeah I really love the idea of what you guys did in regards to, because you're living in a smaller town and a smaller community, you had to look at what happened in the past, such as like you were saying, like the Posi Numbers Festival. And they kind of, you know, you had to create your own scene because obviously once that kind of went away, there was no one left to sort of, you know, pick up the torch from that perspective. So it's like, you guys definitely had to put in a lot of elbow work in order to make that kind of work for you guys. Was that something that, was that something that you just did because obviously you wanted to play shows or was it like, oh, like, I really feel a responsibility for this?
2: I mean, it was partially both. At first, it was just kind of like, oh, we we need to play shows still. You know, we're a band. We're writing music. We need to keep playing. We're not going to stop playing just because, you know, people stop booking shows. So at first, you know, that was kind of, that was the first, I guess, gut reaction we had, you yeah. know, is we're not going to stop playing just because somebody, you know, has, has another obligation in their life, you know, so we kept going and I think we kind of realized that other bands also need to play. It, a scene can't rely on one band or two bands even, you know. It needs to be, a constant influx of, of new bands coming in from out of the area, new bands starting in the area, and old bands continuing to do what they always did. So we had just kind of had this situation kind of fall into our laps. We didn't really quite know what to do with it. You know, it was 15 years old, mm-hmm. you know. We had been in a band for a little while, and we had played some shows, and, and you know, we saw how, how cool it was and how good the scene was. And like you mentioned, the Posi Numbers Festival, there was, I don't even know, like 1,000, 2,000 kids at that. And that was before, you know, the really the eruption of the fest in hardcore, you know, where it was, I'd say almost every single fest that, that goes on now can, can average about, you know, a 1,000 to 2,000 people,
1: yep. you know, and,
2: and that's that's good, and that's cool because, you know, people go to shows, but at that time, seeing a 1,000 people at a hardcore show, at least for me, was insane,
1: yeah. you know,
2: like bands would play locally, and there'd be 100 kids there, you put 10 bands together, and then a 1,000 people show up, that's crazy, you know, yeah. so we saw how good it could be. And we just kind of decided, you know, we're not going to let this stop because this is really important to us. So, you know, it, um, it was just such a weird, you know, like trial and error phase that we were going through, you know, figuring out how to do shows and, and, you know, what bands people like to see and whatever, you know, and it was just, um, it was, uh, it was a lot of work that we put in and, um, you know, ended up opening our own spot after, after uh, venue closed in our area that was, you know, basically the CBGB area. you know, it was around for like 15 years, that's where every band started, and, you know, um, it's, it's still continuing today, you know, we still have to work today about, you know, booking shows and finding new spots and starting new bands and doing all this stuff, you know, nothing has changed in the, you know, eight years that we've been, yeah. you know, I guess, running the scene, if you want to say that or whatever, you know, like, nothing has changed, everything is exactly the same, now we kind of know what we're doing better but we still have the same goals. We still want to book shows that we like and, and playing bands that we like and bring bands to the area that we like. And, you know, it's a, you know the thing that, that, that makes me not want to stop is that, that, um, you know, that experience that I had when I was 13 years old of going to a show and seeing a band play still resonates with me today. And it's so important. And that's the reason why I still play is because that, that's still important to me. And if we could give that to other people, and we could reach out and we could show somebody, you know, look, this is a positive place where it's, you know, you can make it whatever you want. You know, if we could give that to somebody else, that would be, you know, so important. So that's why, you know, I'll never give up, you know, basically. I'll never stop caring. I'll never stop trying because it's still important to me.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, to give somebody else that opportunity, that's, you know, what what continues the cycle.
0: Yeah. It's in, it's, it's in your blood. Um Yeah. What was, uh, what was like the silliest mistake you made towards the beginning of obviously doing shows? Cause a lot of people, uh, you know, I mean, when you're that young, you obviously, like you said, have no idea what you were doing. Um, so is, is there a certain memory or a moment that sticks out to you or it's just like, oh man, we, we did not do this fan justice or the show just went terrible because of something we messed up or any, anything of that nature?
2: I mean, nothing, like, specific comes to mind, but, I mean, there's just instances, of, you know, this is this is especially in the social networking era, you mm-hmm. know, like, right when that boomed, and bands would just hit you up and say, hey, you know, do you want to, can we come to your town and play a show? Do you want to trade shows or something? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we would do a band a favor, and it would be good, and sometimes it would suck, you know? Like, sometimes <laughs> yeah. we formed, you know, we formed, like, friendships that we still have today, like, uh, we met, I don't even know who, how many bands and people through, you know, just, like, booking shows through MySpace and stuff, but... And we would also book a show for a band, and five people would show up, and you know it kind of sucked. so right. it's uh, it's it's basically just kind of learning that that aspect of things of you know booking shows is cool and it's it's also stressful at the same time. We were trying to just i guess figure out that that balance between bringing bands that are cool and good and bringing you know bands that will also bring people so that you know we don't run our funds in the ground and we can't bring bands anymore
0: right right right. total trial and error like it always is um yeah something else that i've noticed you know specifically with you guys as a band but then obviously a lot of other bands that have kind of cropped up in your area as well and i've dubbed this title and i i've told um when i had john from balance on the show as well it's basically, it's young kids playing old guy music. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense of the term, but it's like, you know... Yeah, being, I don't take it that way. It's really impressive to have a band, like, uh, you know, m- comprised of, you know, late teens, maybe some early 20s, but they're playing music that is, you know, well before their era. And that, you know, that that's not always the case. Because it's like, I mean, I, I look at myself when I was that age, and it's like, you know, I was trying to mimic, you know, maybe bands that uh, had been a few years prior... Um, but you know, I probably wouldn't go 10, years back, but that's obviously like what you, like the biggest vibe that I got from, especially like in referencing those shed demos was like, Hey, this kind of sounds like Texas is the reason ish type of stuff. Um, and so was that, was that something that people, you know, kind of brought to you guys attention where it was like, Hey, yeah, you guys have like, you know, younger kids at your show, but then also people that, you know, you wouldn't expect to be into you guys were into you.
2: I mean, for us, you know, liking those bands and being influenced by those bands was just what we knew. You know, um, like I said, my brother got into hardcore at a, at a young age, and he got me into hardcore. And the bands that we, he was into were, you know, they were current bands, and then also he got into the bands that kind of, you know, influenced those bands. And he went on that route, and he would listen to old bands, and he would listen to the early Rev Catalog, and he would, you know, listen to New the Breed comp and all these things that were, you know, earlier in hardcore. Right. And the things that kind of paved the way for the bands that he was playing and and his friends made and stuff and then he was into that and then so i saw those bands and i would get into that and then you know and then rev would release some weird stuff like texas the reason or the movie life and that wasn't you know a normal hardcore band right and and then he would get into that because they were on rev and then he would show me that and then that you know it just it just kept going and going and going and i would get into these bands and you know he would say oh you should check out seaweed the the drummer of was in the band. And, and, you know, so then I would check out Seaweed and then I would get more into Quickhand and stuff like that. And it was just just so much stuff going on. I was just trying to find out where all this stuff came from because, you know, I think the history of everything is, is not only important, but it's interesting, you know, to, to see what guys are in what bands and what bands they wanted to be after that, and whatever. You know, you could, there's so much, you know, incestuous, you know, lineage in, in hardcore and punk and stuff that there's so many guys doing bands that's so cool and then they'll do another band that's so cool with, you know, somebody else from another cool band. So we were just into these bands because, I mean, first off, my brother was into them, but second off, it was just, we were trying to find out, you know, all their music and, and stuff that, you know, influenced the, the bands that we liked. And so we were into, you know, we were covering Texas the reason when we were like 14 years old. Right. We were covering the Misfits and we were, you know, doing all this stuff. And, and because of that, you know, the people that we hung out with, if they hadn't heard these bands, we would show them these bands. Yeah. And then, our whole community, our whole area—you know—that's what, like the new kids that would come to shows, they would listen to our bands. They would say they would hang out with them. They say, "Hey, you should check out this record by this band." And we would, you know, just keep that that tradition going and stuff. You know, and um, it, it's just that's just you know how our our, how our area operates, I guess. And, you know, it's there's a good amount of you know current bands and and listening to current music but then there's just as much emphasis on understanding why that current music exists
1: and
0: yeah. checking
2: out order dance and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah, no, I love that attitude because I feel it, it's so, it's such a slippery slope because it's like, I feel it's like there's this mystical age, but like between the ages of like 20 and 24, where it's like, you're the most fertile to be like, okay, I can like current music. I can still go back to what is happening, you know, in the past. And obviously like you were talking about the lineage of bands but then it's like, I feel there's this weird tipping point where all of a sudden it's like you get into your mid 20, mid to late 20s and then you're supposed to basically stop paying attention to current music. Everything new is terrible. Everything that you got into was the best thing ever. And it's like, I just, I hate, you know, that mentality is so, uh, it's so frustrating because you're just like, like, honestly, like watching when you guys did that quicksand with, or that tour with quicksand, I saw you guys at the uh, the LA show um and there were obviously a lot of people who had no fucking clue who title fight was but you know by the by the time that your set was over there you know there was a warmer reception than when you guys first started to play but i can i can guarantee there are people that were at that show who wrote you guys off because you looked young like they just wouldn't give you the time of day based off these you know these weird barriers you put up you know it's just so frustrating i'm glad that you guys obviously uh, try to foster the antithesis of that. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, you know, that quick hand tour is a great example because we are, I mean, we're not really a new band, I guess we're a young band, but right. you know, we've been playing music for 10 years now and, um, we did that tour and it was people who we've never played to before, yeah. which, you know, I guess it makes sense, but I don't know why, you know, we play maybe not the same style as quick hand, but we're, I think we're pretty easily compatible. And, um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's wishful thinking on my end, but whatever, that's to be debated. But, you know, so we did that tour and there were so many people who didn't know who we were and stuff. And that's fine. I don't care if people know who we are, but it's just this kind of attitude that, you know, is somehow fostered where it's like everything good has already been done and everything now is just boring and stupid and it's a rehash of that or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree, you know, I agree that there's been a lot of cool stuff, you know there will never be another minor threat. There will never be another negative approach. There will never be another youth of the day. You know, that, that cannot be repeated. Right. But the thing is, you could take the things that they did and build on them, you know. There can never be another youth of the day, but there was a floor punch, you know, like right. that's, that's direct, you know, inspiration from those bands and from that air and stuff. And it's building on it and it's putting something new in it. And, you know, it, that's, that's how I look at it. You know, like we will never be the bands that we love, you know, we'll never be like Jawbreaker. We'll we'll never be as good as them, but we could take what we like from them and incorporate it in what we like and just continue to build and continue to grow and continue to to push the music. And, you know, the fact is some people don't like that. Some people, you know, they like their whatever, their 1981 and 1983 U.S. hardcore, (laughs) and they want it to stay that way. They don't want it to ever, ever be more than the most fucking Neanderthal ignorant street music, which is cool. I love that shit.
1: That's cool.
2: I listen to that. But at the same time, I listen to, I don't know, the Beatles. Yeah. And I like that. And I, and I'm interested in that. So when I write something, I might, you know, take influence from agnostic front, victim and pain. And I also might take influence from the Beatles, Sgt. Peppers, you know, like you can, you can do stuff and you can, you can take influence from all over the place and you can do all this stuff and you can continue to push the boundaries. And to me, that's, you know, like what punk and hardcore is about is about pushing boundaries and pushing like the, the envelope and just like continue, never like giving up and just continue to just keep going and going and going. And to us, you know, maybe we don't sound like agnostic front. I mean, maybe not, maybe we don't sound like agnostic (laughs) front.
0: Yeah, I was going to correct you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like, that doesn't mean that we don't listen to Agnostic Front, you know, like, I'm influenced by that stuff. That's just, that's just like a, a mentality is that can't have both somehow. And I yeah. think that's just kind of ridiculous, you know, not that I'm smarter than everybody, not that I know more, but I just think it's kind of contrived to say that, you know, you can't like one thing and do another or something, or you can't, you know, like one thing but build from it or something. So, right. yeah, it's just... um
0: I, I understand exactly what you're saying, because it's hard to toss aside certain preconceived notions. Everybody does that in the way that they listen to music, where it's like, oh, because it's on a certain record label or because it's on Warp Tour or whatever, I'm not going to listen to it or I'm not going to enjoy it. But then it's like if I actually did listen to it and take the time to, uh, you know, invest in where these people are coming from as far as music is concerned, it's like, oh, oh, I kind of like that. That's, that's cool. Um, Yeah. Every sort of gut reaction moment you have for being like, oh, I I probably won't like this or shouldn't listen to it. Besides the obvious, like there are obvious things where you're just like, okay, I know I'm not going to be into that because this is like so far removed from what I care about. The ones that are, you know, maybe it's a more gray area, you know, you should do you should do yourself a justice and obviously, you know, try to try to experience it in some fashion because yeah. Otherwise then you just become, you know, old and jaded and you're 26 years old. It's like, dude, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: terrible. I mean, for for a scene that's like so pressed on being, you know, open-minded and accepting, there's parts of it that are extremely closed-minded and, you know, um, yeah. like so many bands just write off current bands because they're current and whatever, you know, it's like, they're so good. You know, there are just as many bad current bands as there were bad old bands Yeah, and whatever, you know, like I could dig through so many dollar bin records of bands from whatever 1989 that suck and who cares about them. But you know, yeah, maybe there's some bad bands today, but that doesn't mean that, that there's not good bands and whatever, you know, it's just, you just need to continue to, to be diligent about, you know, listening to music and, I mean, I understand some people don't have the time and energy to invest in checking out new bands and stuff, but that doesn't mean that good music still isn't happening and people aren't writing good music so it's just you know i think it's kind of a kind of like a silly attitude
0: yeah it's a cop-out and bringing up warp tour um obviously you guys did warp tour a few years ago and the uh, you know i watch i watched you guys in one of the southern california dates and it was just it was so impressive to me just because of the um you know the response that you guys got and i know that that tour being completely foreign and weird and i know something you guys kind of you know really sat down and talked about before you did because that was a, a pretty big decision you know the you know it kind of tell me a little bit about your experience in regards to that just because this was something so foreign and weird and you know i'm sure you guys you know took pictures with people and signed autographs and stuff that you were just like oh this is like don't people don't do this with us this is strange
2: yeah war tour is is a very strange perfect storm it's a situation where you can go and you can be exposed to literally thousands of new people every day. And there's people that actually like generally want to check out new bands and they go and they do all this stuff but it's so hard and it's so much work and it's just so crazy that there's somehow, you know, it's beneficial and at the same time it's so, you know, physically and mentally detrimental it's you know, it's it's such it makes no sense in my head. But, you know, so we do this tour And we get, you know, asked to do it and, you know, we just decide, let's give it a shot. You know, why not? We're, we're always talking about, you know, being open-minded and doing this stuff. We, you know, we have to put our money where our mouth is essentially and, you know, you know, let's try something different for ourselves. So we do it and, you know, we, we had a good spot and a good stage, which is cool. But, um, it's, it's just like a, I I don't even know where to start explaining it. You know, it's a very weird thing. It's, um, I mean, I guess the easiest way to explain it would be, like, to explain a day-by-day, like, routine of it. And so, basically, I would wake up at, like, 7.30 a.m., brush my teeth, change, not shower, and go right to uh, right to the truck. Because each stage has their own individual truck. And, you know, um, you have to unload the truck. You have to help everybody get their gear out, basically. And so, a friend that, who always with us and myself, would go every morning. And I was one of, like... Two or three band members that would go. And I was gonna, know, and, I,
0: I was gonna say, you like you doing that? Like you don't hear about that. So that's that. That's yeah, very, that's very. Yeah,
2: that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like where we come from. It's like, oh, you're in a band. Okay, yeah, load your stuff. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You
2: know, like, oh, you're in a band. Okay, go sell your merch. You know, it, it's just like that's just what you do because that's part of being a band on tour. It's you have to take the responsibility. And so I would go, and I was expecting it to be kind of this, you know, whatever, like nice, friendly community. And literally the only other bands that had guys out there that were loading their own stuff were the band Vampires Everywhere, who eventually got like a roadie or whatever to do their stuff. Yeah. And then I think it was like a Memphis Mayfire with the other band. that loaded all their own stuff, and I respected them for that. Yeah. So we would do that. If we had time, we'd go eat breakfast, find out what time we were playing, go and do that. And I would try and, like, sit in air conditioning as long as I could. We would play at whatever time we were scheduled. Then we'd have to load the truck up again after we played. And then I would try and go to bed as early as I could. And that's, like, a day-to-day thing. You know, it's, like, you're competing with all these people. And, and in the midst of all this, you know, chaos and loading and unloading and heat and, you know, sunburn, there are so many interactions with people. And it's crazy because these are not, like, people that you would, you know, run into, uh, you know, at a show. Right. Which is, it's cool, because it's, you know, it's different, and it's it's interesting, and, and we don't normally have these experiences, but it's it's very, for me, it was, like, nerve-wracking. It was very, you know, it made me very anxious, because I feel like there's kind of this, you know, understood, like, a uh, fucking law at shows.
1: Yeah.
2: Where it's, you know, everybody does the same. You could, you know, I could go up to you if I had never even met you, and we could have a conversation. Right. We could just talk about normal stuff. Right. But I walk towards, like, oh, you're in a band, you're special tell me about this, what's, what's tour, like, whatever, you know, it's like, it's very weird, <laughs> yeah. and I felt, I felt very uncomfortable, and, um, but you know, you know, we would like, talk to people, and we would sign stuff, and it, it was, you know, I didn't want to be a jerk, and say, no, I don't want to sign that, right. so I would sign it, but you know, I would just hope that, that they come to our show and they kind of realize that, yeah, I'm just, I am just a normal person, just like that. Whoever asked me to sign something. And of course I'll continue to sign anything for anybody who asks me. I right. would never say no because that's just rude. right so, You know, like, I don't know what that does for anybody. You know, if, if me signing something makes somebody happy, I'll do it. But that's just, you know, that's just like a, a right. simple material thing. You know, right. I think a, a, I would like to have a worthwhile conversation with somebody and, you know, and sometimes it's hard for me because I'm, either exhausted or I'm beat at a show and you know, maybe that's not the best place to do it, but that's just kind of what I know and what I what we do. And, you know, to be in such a, a world that is the exact opposite, it was very it was very trying for, for all of us. I mean not to say it wasn't fun. We didn't have, you know, we didn't meet a lot of cool people and and play some cool shows. But it was it was very hard to to do that tour.
0: Sure, it's weird because you strike me as a person that um, I wouldn't call you an introvert by any means, but um, you know, you're uh, you're private. You like to have, like you said, your time to obviously you know decompress after a show or whatever. And it's like because of this environment you were in, you were removed from any level of like comfort, <laughs> um, and so because of that, you were going to, you know, think it's a very strange experience. So do you classify yourself as like an introvert? Is this one of those things where it's like you, yeah, you find comfort in being able to, you know, separate yourself from uh, everybody else?
2: I mean, I do and I don't, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't know where I first heard the term introvert. Yeah, because I was never in like a like a psych class in high school, and and somebody told it to me like, oh, like that like describes who I am, you know, like it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's like you know you kind of keep to yourself, you do whatever, and then I took a psych class in my you know the semester of college that I went to, and it seemed so negative and so scary, like oh my god, am I this person? Like, am I am I this weird freak who you know is socially anxious and you right. know whatever doesn't like people? I mean, to a point, yeah, I I, I am, you know, like being in large groups of people at times makes me very uneasy and whatever. But, um, I am like a, you know, I am like a, an easygoing person for the most of the time. You know, like I can talk to people, I can have a normal conversation. I can do all that. But most of the time I kind of would rather just doing my own thing and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, like listening to a record on my own or like reading a book or something. You know, I, I enjoy kind of that, that time to sit and just kind of ponder. I yeah. like that. And, um, you know, doing doing uh you know like you said it was it was not like that and i i kind of uh i don't know i feel i feel bad at times because you know people in the band will tell me oh like you were a jerk to that person that person came up to and talked to you and all you said was like thank you and i really do try and and talk to people yeah but i feel so like uncomfortable when I feel so weird like why why do these people want to talk to me what do they find interesting about me you know what like it's weird. It's you know. It's part like introvert, part you know low self esteem, part whatever. You know, it's just it's it's weird.
0: You know, I can I can understand and empathize with what you're saying because like even though you know, I mean, I sang for the bands that I was in, and I was because of that. You know, like yourself, you're you're the focal point. A lot of people come up and talk to you because they feel like you're the entry point. You know, they can't talk to the drummer, or the guitarist, because like you know, they didn't say anything on stage or whatever. But um, I always definitely felt like it was my responsibility to, like you said, obviously be nice to people, but at the same time also show that you are just this real person. Like you're, you're not this like character uh, or a performer, even though we are doing that, there's an element of that, but that you, like you said that that whole interaction where it's like, okay, there's this, you know, meaningless interaction as far as like a, a photo or, or an autograph or anything. But it's like, if you're able to have those 30 seconds to a minute with a person that's like, oh, like. Ned's just a dude, like, I get it, like, that, I mean, that impact alone, you know, reverberates for years and years and years, and so I can understand where you're coming from, where you just want that experience, but it's kind of yanked from you in weird circumstances.
2: Yeah, exactly, you know, and I think a show is kind of a hard place to have, like, that kind of conversation, you know, where you can say more than just, like, hi, how you doing?
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Oh, you drove from where? That's cool. Uh. Thank you. Um, and then, you know, that's really, it's kind of, it's hard to kind of do more than that. And while I would like to have those experiences, you know, with, you know, if I could talk to everybody that listened to our our band and thank them personally and say, you know, thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to us. You know, I, I would gladly do that, but it's, it's, it's just hard, especially, you know, when you're just like, when you just played and you all you want to do is just sleep and, you know, you have to drive 12 hours and, you know, all this stuff. It's, it's, there's so many factors that go into it and it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to be the person that I want to be sometimes and the person I want to be is just, you know, go up and talk to everybody and say, you know, thank you so much for coming out and be and be like that and then, on the other hand, I want to go and I want to sleep and I want to be by myself and I want to do this stuff and, you know, it's just this push and pull of, of, you know, what kind of person to be and, you know, it's just... Uh, you're
0: you're expected yeah you're expected especially you know from the like you said the show interactions you're expected to be quote unquote on like oh man like i gotta be you know not only am i doing my stuff on stage and playing the music that i enjoy but then like once i'm off stage i need to be you know i need to be whatever this person wants me to be and that's like yeah obviously that's impossible because you never know how that that will uh, end up yeah um
2: yeah i mean and I talk to so many people, it's like, oh, I don't want to meet, you know, whatever, my musical idol or my, you know, or like this this celebrity or something that I really like because I'm afraid that they're going to be a dickhead. And that I won't like them because either they're rude or they're mean or something, you know, and, and that would ruin the person for me. And, I mean, that's something that now I kind of realize, you know, I don't want anybody to not like title fight because, you know, either I was having a bad day and I wasn't able to communicate to somebody what I was, you know, feeling or something or or I was tired or something, you know, like it's 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 people take those personal experiences very seriously, you know, and I, I give that merit and I think that's totally reasonable. Very stressful for me, yeah. you know, to try and be this, uh, this individual who, who is, you know, constantly able to talk to everybody and able to stop and, and say hi. And, you know, it's, it's, a uh, you know, it's like the lowest form of celebrity and it's very strange and and it's weird, but at the same time, I don't want that to affect how I, you know, how I treat people or anything. That's, you know, it's it's kind of just it's so weird and crazy.
0: Yeah, you straight. Well, it's a constant struggle. It'll never be easy for you. So, I and and ultimately, because it's not easy, I think that puts you in the place of you're always you'll always be trying to have that human interaction, which is, you know, I think that's the place where everybody should be. No matter how popular their band is, they should be looking to have meaningful interactions with people and just. Break it down to the point of where it's like, yeah, I am just a person. I decided to start a band with four of my friends years ago, and that's that's where it's at, you know, like or three of your friends, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, so um, two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. We talked about this briefly last time, but I think it's you know it was something that a lot of people don't realize, and especially in talking about obviously your day to day schedule on Warp Tour. When your grandmother passed away while well, you guys were in Europe, and you weren't able to kind of you know participate in a lot of the uh, you know familial obligations that happen um, surrounding, uh, you know, a person that you care about passing um, and this sort of like suspended animation that you live when you're on tour, you know, I'm sure you're constantly trying to find that balance of like, okay, here's my band life and here's like kind of my real life, even though they're all one and the same, they are two completely different experiences. Is that something you constantly try to keep a part of your life like normal because otherwise you'll just feel hollow otherwise
2: yeah i mean this is basically like the crux of my whole identity right (laughs) excuse me
0: yeah of
2: my identity right now you know it's like um i've been in a band my whole life and now i'm in a band as a career you know it's crazy never in my seriously never in my in my wildest dreams and everything but i'd actually be able to play music you know and more than just on the weekends or something you know and And, um, never did I really think of what it would entail. And, you know, and I think a lot of people, their perception of what it entails is, is, you know, even bands that think of, you know, hardcore people that think of hardcore bands touring, they think of it as like this rock star life where you go, you go and you play these great shows everywhere and, you know, you sleep with women everywhere and like all the girls want you and you go home and like, you have so much money and you sold all your merch and all this stuff. And, you know, that couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, life on tour is very rough you know, to put it frankly, you know, it's, you're driving, you're in close proximity with people that, even though you like them, it, you know, it, it gets hard sometimes, you know, and that in itself is, is something that it's trying on a person. Mm. And then to, you know, you have to kind of deal with that. You kind of have to say, okay, I need to, to get this much sleep so I can drive tomorrow. And we need to, you know, whatever answer these emails and put in this order of merch, we need to do this phone call, you know, if you have so much stuff to do, while wall- trying to, you know, keep a level head and play a good show every night. And then you completely forget about the outside world, you know, and um, you forget that people work a normal job and they go to, or they go to school or they have a family and they do all this stuff while you're on tour, you know, and the passing of my grandmother was kind of the first in a very long series of events That's it's, it's hard to, to realize that people exist, you know, when you're in are your kind of, not in their presence, you know, and um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it takes something like that, like, you know, the phone call to remind you that, that your grandmother passed away, you know, while you were having fun in Europe. It takes that to kind of realize, to, you know, make you realize that, you know, there is reality going on outside of, you know, your van and outside of whatever venue you were in at the time, you know. it's It sucks, quite frankly, you know.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I would do just about anything to, you know, to be able to be there to see my grandmother, you know, on um, the last story that we did, I got a call it, that my, that my, uh, my great aunt, my godmother passed away. And, you know, the same thing, those situations where you, you just, you can't do anything. And you go through every emotion of, you know, of loss and grieving. And, you know, at first I was angry, you know, and, and, you know, that's, you know, I, I wrote this on palace on full green. That's basically saying like these people that, that got to spend the last day with my grandmother, are people in a nursing home who, you know, see death every single day of their life, and they're so, they're callous to it. They don't care, you know, essentially, because people die around them all the time. It just doesn't mean the same thing that it does to me. And, and you know, that feeling of, of like, you know, stupid teen anger of being like, why did this have to happen? Why can I have been there? Whenever, you know, it's just like these feelings that you go through, you go through them while being trapped in a van driving 12 hours through the middle of America or through, you know, Europe or something and it's just it's crazy yeah. and it's you know when I thought about you know doing this you know more than just on the weekends never did I think that this would be you know part of my problems and you know this is uh,
0: it's an unintended consequence of of these yeah these situations that you could never think arising but when they do it really you know it puts it puts things into a very clear light for you where it's like okay Like I need to, because ultimately I think the most important thing that any sort of band person can do is still be rooted in some level of reality because it's like the moment that you remove yourself from, you know, the real world. And that's like, you know, even just having relationships with your family is, you know, you just become this, you know, this character of a person, you're a performer. Um, And that's just not, that's, that's not healthy for prolonged periods of time. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, Like I
2: said, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of finding that balance between being able to go out and, you know, and have fun it, and, you know, do your duties as a band member and as a, you know, basically, a, you know, as a driver and as a, you know, loader and like all these other jobs that you have while you're on tour, you know, to do that while still being a human and compassionate and caring and healthy and anything, you know, like you still, you, you need to kind of understand that you can have both things, but I'm still trying to figure out how.
0: You yeah, know. no, totally, totally last thing I want to ask before you wrap it up was in order to achieve some of your, uh, like you said, the, the balance that you're looking for, you're, you, you've been doing school recently. Are, what, what's the goal from that perspective? Are you trying to get like your college degree? What are you studying? Um, is this just something you're kind of doing in your off time? Yeah,
2: I'm, um, I'm studying English right now. Well, I'm working towards a degree in English. Um, okay. I mean, basically, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe I'll need a degree one day or if not, then I, I enjoy reading. I enjoy analyzing literature. I enjoy, you know, talking about books and stuff and so I just decided to pursue we had the whole summer off and and I did that and you know that's just like another thing to just kind of keep me grounded you know and we're going to go on tour in September with with Balance Enclosure, and I'm really excited for that tour but I signed up for some online classes you know kind of keep my brain working and and not only you know obviously the important thing of you know working towards a degree and kind of trying to get that done but also kind of kind of you know going back to like reminding myself of, of reality and that you know I have work to do and, you know, other people have work to do. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of, okay, you know, my family's at home and I need to talk to them and I hope everything's all right at home. And, you know, it's just, it's just a, you know, it's a kind of, you know, menial task that everybody does. You know, everybody goes to school and, you know, everybody doesn't go to college and everybody doesn't have to go to college. But, you know, that kind of, that's task that, you know, everybody has to go through at some point in their life of, you know, having a routine of school is a reminder to me to you know to live a normal life and to you know act normal and to you know just kind of kind of focus back on home for a minute you know in you know the crazy crazy day that you always seem to have on the road.
0: Yeah, no, no, for sure. Well, Ned, I really appreciate you hanging out again, and I think we created a different conversation, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely was. Yeah, like I said, I really appreciate you hanging out, and obviously wanting to do this again. Sweet. So isn't Ned just a good dude? It was cool because I could tell that he obviously was excited to do this sort of interview just because it's not something that he's typically used to. And I could tell that he was able to hit on a lot of subjects that people don't normally ask about. So it just brings me such satisfaction that I can give people a platform in which to share their, I wouldn't say true self, because it's not like they're not showing their true selves in other interviews, but just the ability to kind of make, uh, paint a broader picture of who they are and why they create music. Oh man, I feel lucky to do what I do. Anyways, Tom Richfield is the editor for this episode. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. Visit howweare.org to find out more about the podcast network I was talking about because I'm positive that if you like this show, you will like some of the other shows that are affiliated with the network. I've got so many amazing guests coming up. Like, honestly, I think episode like, I don't know, 65 and up, just like every single episode has revealed either a guest that is, you know, pretty notable and or just a really compelling story. I don't know. Just so excited about the future of, of this show. And the feedback that I get from you guys is just fucking incredible. So if you want to email the show, 100 podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, be safe, everybody, and I will talk to you later.